Matthew 9, 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, And why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men." Now, as I travel some of our wonderful highways, I sometimes wonder if the people I encounter on the road can actually read. <laughs> now, I know the literacy rate in America is pretty high. But still, when two roads come together, I wonder if the drivers grasp what a yield sign means. Because if you do, you realize that instead of sliding into the lane you're coming in, driving as fast as you can, you ought to yield. If you don't do that, you probably don't know the difference between merge and yield. Or here's another. Because yielding is hardly the only problem. Stop seems to mean slow down substantially, accelerate as fast as you can when there's a driver midway. And that's not the only problem. Then there's the nonverbal symbols like traffic lights. Although green light means go, there are people like myself who are motionless when the fresh green light appears and then get Get, I get a lot of honking, and so do others. There are others who act as if a yellow flashing light means go as fast as you can. And some think a fresh, fresh red light means don't stop. Go and cover your eyes as you proceed. But sadly, and that's the point of this illustration, it's not only road signs that people do not read. In this passage and throughout Matthew 8, 9, and 10, Jesus gives, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, gives very clear signs that he is God and that he alone has the power to save and the religious leaders as well as crowds do not get the sign. Continue in unbelief. And the point of the passage is, Jesus is all we need. 
He is able to satisfy our deepest spiritual needs. God doesn't offer Jesus as a better way of getting what we want. God offers his son and calls us to trust his healing grace over our sin and to follow him steadfastly in faith. And God will supply our every need in every circumstance through Christ. The passage is a call to trust Christ as our security, to trust him to give us sight, humility, and to trust him for the strength to faithfully go through obstacles. Point number one, security. Security of forgiveness for the paralyzed. So in Matthew 9, we find an encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ with one of the people of his day, um, a paralyzed man. We don't know why he is paralyzed. There may be a connection between the fact Jesus forgives his sin and his paralysis. Perhaps there was a sin in his life. that Perhaps he was the result, a victim of the sin of others and was paralyzed. Perhaps as a result of his own foolishness, he was paralyzed. We just don't know, but we do know that he not only has a physical need, yes, he's paralyzed. Yes, he is uh, carried in a bed. Yes, he needs his friends to even get him uh, to see Jesus somehow in the trust that he may be healed. But there's an even deeper need he has, a much deeper need, a much greater need, the greatest need that every person has, and that is that he is a sinner. As a sinner, he is dead in his sins, unable to save himself. There is a paralysis of the soul in every human being, and only Jesus Christ can give him the new life of the Holy Spirit that will enable this man to look in faith to Christ and be forgiven so he can be healed spiritually in his relationship with God and so that one day he will be healed physically when Jesus Christ returns and he is resurrected. So there's a, there is a conversation that transpires in the text Jesus dealt specifically with this man, but not only with this man, he's dealing also with others besides this man. He's dealing with the Pharisees. He's dealing with the religious leaders. Um, he's even dealing with the crowds because they will see this miracle and they will be amazed and afraid and glorify God. So in this account, you also find the first opposition to Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. The opposition comes from the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, those who should have read the signs that Jesus Christ is God, but whose hearts were hardened and they refused to read the sign that they, as equally as the paralyzed man, needed forgiveness by trusting Christ. Now, we're told in the accounts of Mark and Luke that this paralyzed man had friends who brought him to Jesus. And so they go to a house, and the, and the house is surrounded by people in the house who are surrounding Christ, 
and no one will part, so this paralyzed man cannot get in. He can't get to Jesus. So his friends um, decide that they're going to go to the roof up above, and they remove tiles, and they lower the man on ropes, uh, this paralyzed man, on a stretcher, uh, to Jesus, and they get Jesus' attention. Now, that's a dramatic entrance, but the exit will be even more dramatic. Jesus is suddenly confronted with a man, not only with a physical need that, he, that this man is helpless to cure, but with a far greater spiritual need that he is wrong with God. There is a rift between him and a holy God and this man will be judged and punished for his sin if he does not trust in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ says to this man, as our passage says, if you now look at verses 4 and 5, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise up, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus says to this paralyzed man, son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Think of who's saying that. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is saying, your sins are forgiven. God says that even now to everyone in this room and everyone in stream who has repented of their sin and trusted Christ. God, Jesus Christ, says, your sins are forgiven. What delightful words. There is no greater judgment rendered in your favor and mine than that God Almighty should meet all the demands of his justice in Christ on the cross. So he says to you and to every true believer, your sins are forgiven. But then the Pharisees object to this and they say, he's acting like God. Yeah, that's right, he is, because he is God. He's a blasphemer. Only God can forgive sins. Yes, that's the point. Jesus is God. And so Jesus responds by saying, why do you think evil in your hearts? There's another sign Jesus is God. He knows what they're thinking when they haven't been speaking out loud. Why do you think evil in your hearts? Yes, Jesus knows every evil thought we think and every good thought we think. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Now, Jesus 
All of his statements are simple and profound, and this one is definitely simple and profound. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's all equal to me. I can say your sins are forgiven, and I can say rise up and walk, and they'll both happen. From the unique authority that flows from me because I am God in the flesh. In the Old Testament, we're told in Isaiah 43, 25, I am God, I am he, and I blot out your sins. We're also told in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. So yes, Jesus is declaring, it's all equal to me. But in the context of this particular passage, what Jesus is getting at is this. Look. At one level, it's easy to say you're forgiven. Because you don't, you don't know if the person's bluffing. And forgiveness only comes from the throne of God. But it's much harder in one, at one level to say to someone who is paralyzed, get up and walk. Okay, prove that you can do it right now. And if Jesus had said, get up and walk, and he had not gotten up and walked, Jesus is a fraud. So at one level, it is more difficult. And the point Jesus is making is this. I am God. I am able to heal a paralyzed man. Because I am God and able to heal a paralyzed man, that is proof that I am able to forgive any sinner any and all of their sin. And I am also able to heal any disability. That's his point. There's nothing beyond my power. Because I can heal a paralytic, I have also the authority to forgive sin. How wonderful it is to have the full assurance of joy that our sins are forgiven. How securing it is to know that when God delivered up his son to the cross, it was not ultimately Pilate's treachery that did it. And it was not the religious leader's jealous rage, ultimately, that did it. God sovereignly used treachery and jealousy to deliver up his son in love. It was the father who delivered up his own son in love to meet the demands of his justice against our sin so that all of our sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. If you think about it, the hardest thing, the greatest obstacle of all to the greatest gift of all forgiveness was accomplished by the greatest sacrifice of all, the Lord Jesus Christ bearing and wearing our sin. It's like God took a bucket 
and heaped on Christ all the sins of all of his people, all the lying, all the jealousy, all the unforgiveness, all of the adultery, and threw it all on his son and turned away from him in, because he was bearing the curse of our sin. But Jesus then committed his spirit to God the Father in his last word on the cross, and it was received as proof that our Lord's death on the cross was received for our forgiveness. Now, I don't know where you stand tonight, but you may be like the paralyzed man. And the memory of sins in your past has incapacitated you from serving Jesus Christ, from experiencing the joy of salvation. Satan cannot rob you of your salvation if you're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from Christ's love, but he can make you miserable in it if you let him. Perhaps you this evening are burdened down by the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, and you've not stepped forward to witness for Christ, or you can't even pray with faith, how can you pray to God really in faith if you don't believe he's forgiving? Don't bury your sin. Don't suppress it and don't deny it. Be honest before God and confess it and trust that your great burden bearer, Jesus Christ, did not wink at your sin, that he bore the justice of it fully so that you are forgiven. Well, there's a second group of people here who need sight because they're blind. They're blind. And you see this in the story here if you look at verse but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, say, why do you think evil in your hearts? So Jesus knows their hearts, as he knows each of our hearts. So Jesus says to these teachers, you're not paralyzed. You're leaders, you're stepping up front, you're opposing me in the hardness of your heart. No, you're not paralyzed, you're blind. You're blind. You're not paralyzed, you're proud. Luther said one time that pride is like your whiskers. If you're a man, they have to be shaved. It has to be shaved every day. We have to humble ourselves before God and ask for the spiritual sight to be humble before him. Yeah, everybody looked up to the religious leaders, but when Jesus knew their thoughts, he said to them, why do you entertain evil in your own hearts? You see, they would have said, as they looked out at this paralyzed man, he's getting what he deserves. He's paralyzed. He's obviously a sinner. 
Only sinners are paralyzed. Only sinners have afflictions. We're healthy. We're living the way God's called us to live. That's why we're not suffering. That was their thought process. And their objection to Jesus was, how dare you say you have the authority to forgive sin? So when they looked at the man who was suffering, they had no compassion because they were proud. That man's a sinner, and his suffering proves it. Now, if they even bothered to look at their own hearts, they would have said, by contrast, as I've indicated, we are not suffering, therefore we're not really sinners. Now, I ask us all the question, are we in that category? Now, you may do be doing quite well, and you may look at a brother and sister, and you say, well, there's somebody who's really suffering. Uh, I'm not suffering. I'm doing pretty well. Um, and I can understand how that weighs on them, and they can't get out of it. They can't beat it. Um, I certainly wish I could help them, but I don't want to. I can't. And I'm fortunate I'm not like that. I'm getting on. I'm successful why everything must be all right. What Jesus would say to any in this category, you are only what you are by my sovereign grace. If you are not suffering, give glory to God and come alongside the hurting and be the hands that reach them and the arms that carry them. If you are suffering, remember, suffering comes to those who are greatly loved by Jesus. It came to the mother of Jesus, Mary, at the cross. It came to Job in his suffering. God fulfills his sovereign purposes to humble us, to deepen our faith through suffering. But were it not for the sovereign grace of God that chose us, were it not for the regenerating grace of God that removed the spiritual paralysis and enabled us to have the new life of the Spirit to trust in Christ, we would be as totally lost as the most lost sinner. So give praise to God. Yes, these men were not paralyzed. They were blind, and they needed spiritual sight most of all. When God forgives us by his grace, when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, we also need to recognize that the entrance of God's word gives light. And the more we grow in the word of God, the more we see our sin.
and the more we see how much we need Jesus. And the more compassionate we become towards those who have paralysis or other struggles in their life. I often say now to people, I have learned the most through my failures. Isn't that wonderful? By God's grace, all things work together for good, including failure. God uses them to teach us. God uses them to give us spiritual sight to show us how much we need Jesus Christ and his word. We learn much through suffering, and this suffering was an opportunity for Christ to demonstrate his power as God. All the suffering of all of God's people is a grand and glorious sovereign opportunity to learn the greatness of our God. Third point, strength to endure through obstacles. Now, this passage teaches that genuine faith fights through obstacles by the grace of God alone. In other words, it doesn't stop at the first hurdle and give up. We back up. We run with all our might, and we try and leap over that hurdle, or we run around it. Or we go under it. But we keep on trusting a sovereign God who will preserve us through all the obstacles and trials of life. The actions of the paralytic's friends, friends show they had real faith, does it not? When they were obstructed at first because of the crowd, they didn't They didn't give up. What did they do? They went to the roof. They clawed through the tile. I'm imagining they clawed through the tile. Somehow they got through the tile. And they began to dig a hole. And I imagine that the people below, when the flecks of debris started falling on them, realized something's going on up there. And then when the material loosened even more and it came cascading down on them, they realized even more, what's going on up there? And soon enough, there was a big enough hole that they could see the paralyzed man on his stretcher, immobilized. Perhaps now ropes were on that stretcher and he was being let down carefully before Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, when he saw his faith, Your faith has made you whole. They concocted a plan. Actually, God gave them the plan. God gave them the thought, and he enabled them to execute it. Many times when we talk about God's purpose for the future, we say, and rightly so, we trust God to open doors 
And if the doors open easily, what do we often say? We say, well, this, this is God's will. It seems that what I've prayed for is God's plan. The door opened. At other times, the door closes. But what this passage also indicates is sometimes we have to keep on. Keeping on and tear the hinges off the door by the grace of God to find a way to go through obstacles for the glory of God. We are not to give in to a spirit of hopelessness and despair. We are to follow God's word and to serve him no matter what obstacles we face, knowing God preserves us and keeps us and will accomplish his will through us. So I close with these applications. Faith perseveres because we're completely forgiven by the grace of God. But it's far more God persevering with us than it is even us persevering. It's God who preserves us. God the Father overcame the greatest obstacle, our sin, through the greatest gift, his Son, for the greatest purpose, our forgiveness. The point is this. Don't be paralyzed from serving Jesus Christ witnessing to the lost, forgiving the one who has hurt you, caring for those in need, because you're filling your life with the word can't. No temptation has come upon you but what is common to man, and God is faithful. Avail yourself of the resources of the Holy Spirit. The second point is this. Listen to Jesus' words. Take heart. You are forgiven. I love those words. I trust you do too. You may be paralyzed by your sin or you may be blind. If you come to Jesus Christ in faith and trust, you will also hear, take courage, my son, my daughter. I'm going to work good into your life. I am a God who forgives and sanctifies. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not blow out. You may feel bruised. You may at times feel like the light of your life is going out. But go to Jesus. He doesn't blow you out. He will rekindle you if you will turn to him in repentance and faith. So, security of forgiveness, sight for the blind, strength to endure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is gracious, that you are a God who is merciful, that you are a God who is perfectly just, and we thank you that we have true forgiveness because the demands of your justice have been met by Christ. 
Lord, we pray that you would assure any here who are paralyzed by memories of sin or who are paralyzed because they've never trusted you, that whoever comes to you, you will never cast out. Lord, humble us. Enable us to see through your word what you have called us to be. And Lord, enable us to persevere through the obstacles and trials of this life, knowing that a glorious inheritance is awaiting us with you in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing uh, hymn 648. Please stand. My Jesus, I love thee. receive uh, God's blessing from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory 
with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. And let us sing our response hymn that's printed in your bulletin. Thank you.